0: Hi everyone, and uh, welcome to Jane's Talks. I'm um, really great to be with you again, and um, Nish Seth is back. Yay.
1: Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> my Depending on
0: how you
1: feel about
0: me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm very lucky to know to know Nish. She came on a few months ago, and um, yeah, we're going to have a few episodes with her. I think so. Um. um Yeah, so today is um, going to be an interesting episode, (laughs)
1: Um,
0: because um, we're going to be talking about um, the American presidential election today, and the reason we're talking about that is because it's an issue that affects everybody, whether you're American or not, Um, because I think there's a lot of lessons that we need to learn from that, Mm -hmm. and... I think it's something that's really worth discussing. So this podcast has been recorded just after the first debate, yeah. and um, but it's going to go out the week of the election. So if you, you'll be listening to this the week of the election. So, um, because it's more topical then, I figured. Um, so, yeah, um, there's so much stuff we can talk about in relation to this. Um, but... Um,
1: so
0: much you can talk about yes (laughs) um
1: it's such a dumpster fire where do we start right yeah
0: um so um so we've got a presidential election with one candidate who's unpopular with a lot of people and has kicked up a lot of controversy with some stuff and um some people just won't vote for and then we've got hillary clinton as well um Mm -hmm. So um, I was going to say, I was going to say, I was going to make a little joke there and say, um, we've got Donald Trump as well. <laughs> um, but, um, um, yeah, so yeah, we're going to, I'm going to be quite honest from the front because we're not, I don't think either of us are, if there's any Donald Trump fans listening, um, you're probably not going to enjoy this next hour or so. <laughs> um, you know, um, but, um, yeah, just to be upfront about that. Um, we're not going to try and persuade anyone to change their votes though. So, um, so yeah, uh, Nish, just tell us about, I don't know, just tell us about what's happening. What's the atmosphere over there right now?
1: Oh, I mean, the atmosphere. Well, okay. Where I live, it's probably less contentious because people are not excited about Donald Trump, even though it's a very conservative state, which is unusual. Um, Utah. I live in Utah. For those who don't know, in Salt Lake City, and um, obviously very, very red, very conservative Republican state. hasn't gone blue since, gosh, 68, Johnson. Wow. Yeah, it's been it's 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 been Republican since then. Um, and so, but people here um, something that you need to know about Utah if you don't you know live anywhere close to here. It's very, very Mormon. Um, the LDS Church is the primary faith tradition here in Utah. And so, um, interest, interestingly enough, um, Mormons are not capitulating to the Trump narrative the way the evangelicals are. Um, mm. They find him horrendous, <laughs> um, which I actually find to be a breath of fresh air, that they're like, no, we are Republican, but we are, like, they're principled um you know they hold their values very close um Mm -hmm. they care for refugees like our um our governor was one of the few one of the only republican governors if not the only republican governors in the height of the refugee situation Mm -hmm. after the bombing in paris um said no of course we're still going to let in refugees of course we are that's who we are as a people Mm -hmm. in utah and which was like whoa because everyone else was saying like no we're going to shut the borders we're not going to let any refugees in all of that, And he's like, no, of course we will. So Utah holds really tightly to the values um, that mean a lot to the Mormon people. And so, um, you know, things like welcoming the outsider, because they were outsiders, right? Like they were persecuted for mm. their faith and, you know, fled to Utah. So it's, it's a part of their faith narrative. And so to mm. essentially turn their back on that narrative would be to turn their back on their heritage. And there's no way that they would ever do that to fear the outsider, to fear the refugee to fear, you know, someone who looks different than you, because that is their, their world. And so Mm. Donald Trump comes on stage or on TV and says like, no, we're going to ban Muslims and we're going to, you know, not let refugees into the country. We're going to do all that. And Utah is saying like, whoa, that is not, those are not the values that we hold. Um, you know, religious freedom means freedom for everyone, not just the people that look like you. Um, so Utah, all of that to say Utah's unique, um, in that it's not overly contentious, but people don't really know what to do because they're not thrilled with Hillary, like they're not thrilled with Hillary Clinton either, obviously, because it is still very conservative and Republican, even if they're not stoked on Donald Trump. So, um, they're kind of caught in this middle section and going like, I don't know what to do. I don't want to vote for the racist, xenophobic guy. But they also don't want to vote for someone like Hillary Clinton who, you know, doesn't hold to some of those conservative mm. principles, right? And so, which is fair. Um, so it's it's more of a giant question mark. People just don't know what to do with their vote here. Nationwide is a different story. Mm. As you can <laughs> see, like, that's what gets all the airtime, right? Yeah. Um, it's, you know, the far right against the far, Far left, and there's the there's a large swath of people in the center. Even you know very principled Democrats who are not overly thrilled with Clinton being the nominee. Um, you know, and very principled Republicans who are obviously not thrilled with Donald Trump being the nominee. And so, um, it is it is highly contentious because the two polls are the ones that are getting the most airtime. Um. Um, but I think. Within the Christian world, I mean, you can kind of jump in here based on what you've seen, just on social mm. media and stuff. There is yeah. this like almost shock that so many people who claim to follow Jesus are also saying they're going to vote for Donald Trump. I mean, people are just mm. flabbergasted at that yeah. idea. They just can't. They mm. like, I am flabbergasted. I'm like, how do you yeah <laughs> follow this guy? Like, yeah. Jesus born into refugee status right like there's this yeah um, it just doesn't like my brain it just doesn't compute in my brain and so no, uh, you're not alone and it doesn't compute in a lot of people's brains <laughs> yeah like everyone's like I don't know how that works Uh um, just
0: pretty much well, summed up the whole of the UK like yeah Exactly.
1: And I mean, really, we're kind of on that tail end of what happened in the UK with the Brexit, right? Like,
0: No. Oh, my goodness. Don't get me started well, I mean, on that. Right? Oh. I mean,
1: like, that, that's the truth. Like, I mean, a lot of that Brexit momentum was fueled by this, like, fear of the outsider. We're going to... Yeah, There's all
0: exactly. that kind of stuff. Yeah. want to yeah. be associated
1: with the EU and free movement between countries and all that. and Yeah. Um, you know... Donald Trump even
0: said on TV, like, they're going to call me Mr. Brexit, right? Oh, like, gosh. Ah. Oh, my God. You <laughs> so know, the, I, I,
1: the like, speaking
0: job. from that perspective, when when that happened, it was, um, I can't tell you the shockwaves that went through this country. It was like nobody expected it. And I live in London, which is a very, very pro-European place in yes. terms of the votes mm-hmm. and i was going to work that morning and i still remember it if no, there was no smiles yeah. everyone had their head down yeah. nobody was talking to anybody nobody was even like acknowledging anybody it was just and you could feel yeah. in the in you could physically feel the atmosphere of dread and doom and what have we done and then the, what you've it even worse was that there were there was like there's, I think I heard that the 13 percent of people who voted to leave did it as a protest vote, thinking that Remain yes. would win. When all the but, polls had said it was really close, you know, right. and that was that just infuriated me because it was like That's what, It's not, not
1: how voting works. <laughs> if
0: you're going to do a protest vote, don't do it in that vote, you know, do it another time. Right. <laughs> Like,
1: like the thing about voting is that it actually counts
0: <laughs>
1: yes exactly you know, like it's actually a count towards that person and that idea or that you know oh my god yeah
0: yeah
1: so yeah it's it's a crazy contentious race um i don't think anybody in reality imagined that this is kind of how it would end up or this is where we would be but at the same mm. time if you look at the momentum i think of the republican party and um, you know, the rise of the Tea Party and the rise of, you know, what has been dubbed as the alt-right, um, right. you know, I mean, far fringe right kind of, you know, hijacking the principal Republican Party. Um, this was the logical end.
0: Well, um, it's funny you say that because in England, we've got the same thing happening on the left. So mm-hmm. there's this guy, I mean, the leader of the, La- the, the Labour Party is Jeremy Corbyn. And That's he is a hard left guy. Mm-hmm. He is a, basically a socialist um, and his campaign team formed themselves into an organisation called Momentum. Yeah. And there's a strong suspicion that they have hijacked the membership of the Labour Party mm-hmm. and you, and the organisational structure of the Labour Party to yeah. get their way. And they're not actually the Labour Party; they're a separate organisation, and they're meant to be a separate organisation. But you know, it's clear what's happening is that they are organising and taking over and yep. hijacking that party and taking it further to the left and further away from power, which yep. leaves us with a one-party state, effectively, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same mistake they made in the 80s, which yep. is, as a politics student kind of annoys me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and a centre-left yeah. person kind of, you know. Um, and, it's, and it's like the Tea Party and the, the hard right in America. It's December. And Donald Trump it's, is like the epitome of, you know, the kind of the result of that in a sense.
1: Yep, that's exactly right. It's um, it's it's problematic on both ends, right? Like the minute that you don't have like a checks and balances or a, you know, a pull to the center rather than to the fringe, it becomes hugely problematic. And so, I mean, that's that's what's happening to the Rep- the Republican Party. And I don't really see. I mean, again, I'm not like a, not a political scientist, so um, I mean, I can only give you my speculation and what. We see as, you know, outsiders of the political process, but contributors for sure Mm. Uh, that um, I don't I don't know how the Republican Party rebuilds. You know, I think that it has become so fringe and so extreme um, and has disqualified because of that a huge swath of voters that are just Mm. like they're not on board with Trump either. They weren't on board with the Tea Party. They actually want government to function. Like, they believe in minimal government, which is fine. That's a great, you know, it's hmm. a great to have. Um, but they want it to function. Like, even though they want minimal government, they want government to, like, work. Hmm. <laughs> no one wants it to stop working, whether it's big or small.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and so there are a huge swath of Republicans that are going, like, what's happening here isn't working either. Um, but at the root of it, like, the, the Tea Party movement, Donald Trump, all of that, like, none of that happens without the impetus of the voter, right? Because the Mm. voters that put those people in power, it's not like they just, like, walk into Congress and take a seat, you know, Mm -hmm. they're put by their constituents, and so um, the Tea Party, Donald Trump, and that kind of far right of um, conservatism, extreme conservatism, Um, I don't even know that you can call it conservatism, it's just something completely other at this point, but Mm. um, those people were put into power and given those positions, because they tapped into an angst and a fear um, of a lot of Americans of going, you know, I mean, it, it, it started almost eight years ago when Barack Obama took office, of going like he's gonna, he's gonna take away your guns, he's gonna, you know, hmm. have death panels because of health care, you know, what I mean, like all that type of rhetoric, it just like ratchets up the fear. Mm. And all of a sudden, people, instead of stepping back and taking a reasoned oppositional approach, they just pull the e-brake and do something completely off rails,
0: right? Yeah, yeah.
1: In, in response to fear. And the only way to respond to fear is also with fear, right? And so mm. it, it they have created a fear narrative that, frankly, sells um and it works yeah and and i'm not like saying that that fear isn't you know not legitimate like i think there are people who are actually afraid they are actually afraid of muslims because they don't know anyone who's muslim they are afraid of refugees because they don't know any refugees they're you know they see what's happening on the news what happened in paris what happened you know in new york what happened like there's there's so many issues in relation uh, relation to terrorism too that people go like, that's actually scary and they're Mm. right, it is scary Um, I don't want to negate that but at the same time there's that overriding sense of fear rather than going okay, it's right to be afraid and to go, that is a fearful thing, Mm. but to respond in kind is not what we do because it puts all of our values in jeopardy, right? Right? And so that's that's where we are and the rise of Donald Trump and the Tea Party and the alt right is a ultimately I think a response to a deep seated fear mm. um and frankly if we are talking about Donald Trump specifically not just deep seated fear but um a a deep seated hatred of the other and I think that we're seeing that as well i mean with you know some of the racist rhetoric white supremacists, yeah. Donald Trump, um, you can't say it's, it's it's not a racist movement as well as a xenophobic movement oh, as well. Clearly, yeah. There's a fear of the other, but there is also a hatred of the other. There's fear, and, yeah.
0: um, and that echoes, again, a lot of the Brexit thing. Um, it, it, after the Brexit vote, uh, it seemed like a lot of people suddenly felt they had the the permission, the, mm-hmm. uh, the permission to go around being racist and saying polls go home and um, right. and there was I heard one true story about a couple in a restaurant laughing at a Polish waitress because she's they're right. saying you're gonna have to go home now and just laughing at her face and putting up posts everywhere and you know hate crime went up lo- like huge amounts um because they and it wasn't because they suddenly became racist it was because they were racist all along and now they felt they were culturally sanctioned um and democratically sanctioned to be racist
1: mm-hmm. um
0: you know, and, um, and all of that was stirred up by the, the, largely by the campaigning, not by the actual referendum itself, but by the way people campaigned. Because it was, again, it was all fear. Mm-hmm. Both sides yeah, it, campaigned it through fear.
1: Words matter, yeah. right? Like our words matter. And how we frame arguments matters. If you frame it in fear, people will respond out of fear and it'll give them a reason to fear and hate. Yes. And so how we communicate our, our ideas is equally important to the ideas themselves. Yeah. And, like, you can run on a platform of national security and go, you know, securing our borders, everything else is of the utmost importance because of da-da-da-da-da. You can communicate all of that without being fearful and antagonizing already fearful and racist people, right? Yes, like, exactly, yeah. rhetoric exacerbates the fear. And... It's really, really frustrating. And, you know, the Trump campaign um, and his rhetoric has only, I think, just kicked over the rock where all this was hiding for a long time. And now we're reckoning with it. And because we're really reckoning with it because there's a chance he can win. And. Yes,
0: there's a very real chance he could win. Yeah.
1: There's a real chance.
0: Um, Yeah, I'm coming to America at the end of November. So um, I'm hoping that um, they'll do me a favor and not elect Donald Trump. And so I have to go there with President-elect Donald Trump, you know. And I'll be in Washington as well, for part of it. So um, I don't want to go to Washington and have Donald Trump in the same. Yeah, yeah. But you're talking about words we use. It's interesting. It made made me think of um, two people, really. First, Barack Obama. You know, when he first got elected, all his language was the language of hope.
1: Hope and change,
0: right? And change. stuff. And so everyone got, it, and that changed, and it, that brought that changed the culture of yeah. America. You know, like everyone, everyone was kind of excited, you know, and positive and united. and You know, and it's just it was because of what he was saying. It and JFK was kind of the same. Yeah. You know, it was all about hope and what you know, what world can we build? What can we, how can we change things? How can we improve things? You know. Um, and all that includes security it doesn't you know it doesn't it's not all just about social change that kind of thing yeah. and and so you can actually get a lot done because people believe in you and people are positive about doing something you know right. it just you know i mean no tony blair's um, done a lot of bad things um but um when he first came to office, that was what he was doing um it was a po- it was a positive hopeful you know, let's change things, let's make things better, you know. Um, And, uh, yeah, makes such a difference. Makes such a difference.
1: And, you know, I mean, we can look back on the Barack Obama candidacy from 2008 and go, um... Yeah, he didn't quite deliver <laughs> on a lot of things. And that's that's fair. That's fair to say. And I am I'm an Obama fan. I, I, I love our president. I think he's been a great domestic president. Um, I think he's made some big mistakes foreign policy-wise. But um, overall, like we can look and go, man, there's some things that he didn't deliver on. But that doesn't change the fact that campaigning on something like hope and change and what we have in common and what we can do together... Um, is a more powerful um, bridge-building type of rhetoric that, you know, actually builds momentum to get stuff done, right? Mm. Um, uh, the the fear and hate and anger rhetoric only deepens the divides that already exist, and so now we have a Congress that doesn't do anything, right? So now, like, they're mm. completely they can't pass anything. We can't get judges in the right place. We currently have still only eight justices on the Supreme Court, which there's, is a problem.
0: There's meant to be nine, isn't that right?
1: Nine, and we still only have eight um, because Merrick Garland has been hung up. They will not confirm him because Congress will not like. They again, it's just they just won't do their job, and so it's, that's.
0: I mean, it's a lot of Republican Senate, um, Congress, sorry, isn't it? Is that right?
1: Yes, it is Republican Republican-controlled control
0: at the moment. That's one of the reasons that Obama's not been able to get stuff done that he wanted to get done, I think, isn't it? Um, Mm -hmm. It's a weird way that works in America. Because Britain, it's like the Prime Minister is the leader of the the largest party. Mm -hmm. So basically, whatever policies they want to get through, through. they get through. Because unless there's a rebellion, which doesn't really happen that often, unless it's a really controversial policy. Um, And if the government gets defeated like, in, in one of those things, like, by a major, you know, then the Prime Minister tends to go, you know, because they've lost the support of their party, you know.
1: No, we have that horrible thing called checks and balances. Yeah. <laughs> it is actually a great thing. It's a good thing that we have it. Um, I know, but it's a good thing, in like yeah. history, it's, it's rough because, you know, you have a party that's entrenched in, you know, fear and hateful rhetoric that, you know, doesn't move agendas forward because of you know that that type of fear you know Mm. makes it's gridlocked and nothing moves on um Mm. which is a shame because it hasn't always been that way you know you you look back in the 90s and bill clinton and newt gingrich you know i mean they worked together on a lot they got a lot of things passed even though you know congress was controlled by the republicans and the democrats had the white house they managed to still get things through Um, You know, Mm -hmm. they balanced the budget They, you know, did all that stuff And we just can't do it right now And it's kind of depressing So, you Mm -hmm. know, the hope is that I mean, I I don't think anything's going to change If Republicans remain in control of Congress And Hillary gets the White House I think, if anything, it could be worse Um, But we'll see We'll see It's all crapshoot There's a lot of seats up for grabs So not just in the White House
0: I'm really hoping that um, the Democrats get it back, you know, because largely because of the gun law thing, you know, because they keep going trying to get that done and they keep, the Republicans keep saying no. And um, it's just really not I did a podcast episode on it, you probably, you may have heard um, Mm -hmm. about the whole guns thing, you know, Mm -hmm. just how crazy that is. Um,
1: That is crazy, our fascination and obsession.
0: And, of course, Donald Trump said the best way to solve the gun problem is to get more people to have guns.
1: That's what people think.
0: And it's like, do you not know, like, research or anything? Like, countries where there's more guns have more crime. Countries with less guns have less crime. Yeah. It's like that black and white. You know, it's not um, rocket science. Um.
1: Yeah. 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 And I mean listen like we my my husband and I well mostly my husband cuz they were passed down to him from his family but we we're, we're gun owners like we believe in the right of the 2nd Amendment that people should you mm. know have the right to own guns but we also like eh, believe in common sense. Yes, <laughs> you know like
0: <laughs> That's it. Yeah.
1: There are reasonable restrictions that we can put in place that yeah. you know would make them harder to get. You know, for people who shouldn't have them, and can't do that. So it's yeah, it's 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 tough. It's a really tough time to get anything done in this country in regards to gun violence and refugees, and I mean you name it, judges. We can't get anything done right now. So and it's just only adding fuel to the fire of this campaign season. So
0: and the and of course there's the environment and um, healthcare as well.
1: Yes, climate change. You know,
0: I I saw a tweet. I saw that tweet from uh, Donald Trump from 2012 saying that okay. he thought that climate change was something cooked up by the Chinese to help oh. deal, to stop trade deals with America or something like something crazy uh-huh. like that. Okay. You know, and I, was, and, I like,
1: all The scientists who work tirelessly <laughs> for, you know, research in universities and, and, oh my goodness, that have proven time and time again that climate change is happening. So never mind, let's just negate all of their hard work and... Yeah, life serviced.
0: Yeah, it will be almost. This is this, this is. There's so much that I want to laugh at about Donald Trump and some of the stuff that he comes out with. I yeah, think. I have to laugh.
1: Although you, I you
0: kind of have to, but it's like you almost like yeah, but this guy could actually be president. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm,
1: you could.
0: And that is like that's just terrifying. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, it like, is, and that's
1: and that's the that is the thing that I think that. We have to push back against too, is to like also not respond to the fear of Donald Trump, like the fear that he's putting out with yeah fear yeah you know because at the end of the day, um, we we do have a checks and balances system in the United States, and he won't be able to do really, I mean, any of the things that he said he's wanted to do because they're well, a they're unconstitutional, but. Um, you know, B, he'd have to pass them through Congress, like Congress would have to pass those things and then if there's any problem it'll come up in the courts and get shot down by the Supreme Court, so we have all those checks and balances That's, in
0: That yeah. is quite reassuring actually because yeah. I, so, yeah, I know that even a lot of his own party don't support him, you know, so just because if there's a Republican
1: mm-hmm.
0: majority in Senate doesn't mean that he's going to get all his policies through mm-hmm.
1: so. Yeah, the biggest fear would obviously be the military um, you know, you have a guy who's the commander-in-chief of the military and doesn't always, as we have seen, which is one of my pushbacks against President Obama, um, doesn't have to have congressional approval for a lot of military action. And so you've got this guy in charge of the military and doesn't necessarily have to have congressional approval for some things, especially the use of the CIA and that sort of thing. It, um, that can get real scary real fast. So mm. um, that's, that's where there's probably some legitimate fear. Um, but as far as, you know, like banning Muslims from the country and like that would never, I mean, it's horrible and we should never even entertain the idea, but if we had to walk it through, like actually like stop, that let's, let's step back and evaluate that process of what that would look like if you wanted to do that in this country and it would never pass through Congress or get through the mm-hmm. Supreme Court. There's just, cause it's blatantly unconstitutional.
0: Yeah. It's just, so, yeah. Yeah.
1: So there there are some, like, healthy, good checks and balances that we have to, like, step back, remember who we are, remember our system of government, and there are some protections in place if he does get to be elected. But that doesn't negate the, you know, legitimate fear, of the military piece, and also what it would do to our economy and all that kind of stuff, too. So there's some legitimate downsides and reasons to be concerned.
0: Hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard um speakers I've been to see some speakers over the summer, one of the, from one of them from America, quite a major one, and um one of the first things they did is like say, I'm really sorry on behalf of America for Donald Trump. <laughs> 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 he's crazy, we think he's crazy. <laughs> um Um yes, we understand we're sorry. <laughs> um <laughs> Um Yeah, so um one thing I was interested, I'm interested to think about, though, is why... And we talked about this a little bit already, but this seems to be happening in a lot of places that... Um, I mean, in Britain we have um, the far right are gaining momentum. You know, in fact, they're taking a lot of working-class support from Labour, who used to be the working-class People's Party, because they don't... because um, because well, they've got an ineffective leader and who's not in touch with, with voters at all. And so they're going to the... But instead of going to the next party along on the spectrum, they're going completely to the opposite end of the spectrum. And so... And they're like... This is the, the uh, what they're called... Um, the UK Independence Party. UK. Mm-hmm. They're kind of like the Tea Party, um, but an actual party. Um, um, and they're like third in the polls at the moment. Yeah, the opinion polls—they're above the the traditional third party, the Liberal Democrats, who are kind of more a centre party, more like Democrats, I suspect. Although their their leader's quite left wing at the moment. Um, Yeah, so it's like, and of course you've got you've got like the left wing extreme as well, and so it's all kind of it's all going a bit extreme, and. I've noticed in, historically, like, yeah, this, this is my politics student coming through now, um, <laughs> that when you have a big economic meltdown, the, what tends to happen is that politics tends to go to extremes. Like the 1930s, you know, in Germany. Um, even in Russia, a bit earlier on, you know, when people get desperate, they tend to go to anywhere who'll give them some kind of voice. Anyone who'll give them any kind of hope, whether even if it's negative, you know. Um, and it seems to be happening again, you know, and um, because you've got, you know, the Tea Party and the far right in America and even Bernie Sanders to a certain extent, you know, he's um, he's quite to the left. So he got, and he got a lot of traction. He was very close to becoming the nominee so i do think that's really interesting how that's happening and what that's going yeah. to mean in the future
1: yeah and i think that you know there um, there are a few factors at play obviously um you know, we have you know less economic instability now than we have in the last eight years um in america anyway you know lots of job growth and economic development and um, wages have, you know come up finally. <laughs> um, you know lots of good things happening in the U.S. economy, and so um, you know that's fantastic, wonderful, right? But the world at large feels very unstable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know we see images on our TV of you know ISIS um, beheading journalists, that sort of thing. You know, I mean, just horrifying, horrifying images. We mm-hmm. see images coming out of Syria. We see. You know, Russia making moves in ways that it hasn't done in a long time that are you know a little not even just a little unnerving are very unnerving. Um, you know so even even though there is an economic stability in America that has happened, and again, we we still have a long way to go. We're not completely rebuilt, but there has been substantial growth in the last eight years under President Obama. But the world feels unstable. Mm. Um, and the world feels like a scary place. And, um, you know, if you can paint this, you know, bogeyman picture, right, mm-hmm. of other, of what's happening in the world, is something we need to be afraid of. And especially as we become more and more globalized, right? We're more and more interconnected as a world. Yeah. yeah. Uh, economies and borders and immigration, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, as we become more interconnected, we then become more fearful of things happening around the world. And so um, that fear, again, taps into that that part of our brain that can override our kind of logical sense of understanding. And um, when politicians capitalize on that fear is when we see things move to a fringe as well. I mean, there are a lot of different catalysts that I think move people towards a fringe um, position, um, but looking at it from like a global standpoint um, and kind of a national standpoint, you know that's definitely one reason that I see is going. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Looking out at the world, it looks kind of scary. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of things happening in the world that are scary. Mm. Um, you know, the images coming out of Syria are horrifying, and ISIS is horrifying. All those things, and so it's easy to tap into fear when it's readily accessible to see. That's and a great card. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, we, because we're more interconnected, and because we see things so quickly, it's a lot easier to be fearful, because we see images at rapid fire in a way that we've never been able to see before. It would take months before we saw images like that coming out of Syria, and we're Mm -hmm. seeing them in the same day, because of smartphones and everything else. It's this mass influx of information um, all the time, and if you're constantly bombarded with reasons to be fearful, what's going to happen? Yeah. You're going to be fearful. And you're going to look for stability. And as humans, we always look for stability in a person, right? We're always going to look for the person. Who's yes. the person that's going to be that strong man, right? Yes. Like, um, But unfortunately, the strong man that we've, you know, that a lot of you know, people who have, unfortunately, bought into some of that fearful rhetoric, the strong man that they see is Donald Trump. Yeah. And here we
0: go. So... Yeah. Unfortunate. It's very unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs>
1: really funny. Um, Me minding my language. Um,
0: <laughs> you've done very well so far. Um, I'd say it's a
1: damn shit show, but
0: <laughs> that was little... oh well, that's in. That's in.
1: <laughs> that's
0: that's nothing. That's nothing. Um, <laughs> um, so where do we like? We're Christians. And, um, you know, state the obvious. We're meant to stand for a Jesus of love and hope and inclusion and diversity and peace. Um, How do you practice that and how can we practice that in this atmosphere? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think that that's, that's the... The catch that we get caught into in these types of moments, right? National elections are always that, like, gut check of going like, who are we as Christians? And, like, putting people in these big blocks, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Christians should not be doing da-da-da-da-da. And, um, again, I always go back to localization. That we just, um, a lot of the change starts simply by loving our, like, actual neighbor. Not like the proverbial neighbor, anyone you come across, but the person who actually lives next door to you. (laughs) Hmm. You know? Um, And you you live out those values in a local context. Like, can you live them out on social media and interactions with the rest of the world? Of course you can. But the actual change starts on a hyper-local level with... The conversations that you have with the people in your community, in your churches, in your local government? How can you change your local government to address some of the issues that are happening in your small community? Um, and you start to address that, and then it branches out, and then it branches out, and then it branches out. But you can't tackle the beast, like the huge national policy beast, without starting with your own self, right? And so, for me living out those values of being like a peacemaker and being a bridge builder and being loving is going like, man, how am I doing that with just the people in my life with my kids? How am I raising my kids to be that person? Mm. Um, you know, how am I doing that? How am I loving my spouse and lifting up my spouse and serving my spouse? How am I serving my neighbor in my neighborhood and the least of these in my community? And so to battle against a lot of that fear of the other, um, hatred of the other, you just simply have to do more to love the people who are other in your community. Um, mm. cause the minute you start looking at the giant picture of like, you know, let's just take the issue of systemic racism, right. I mean, in America, mm. it's a, and you know, I mean, the, and and then we're talking about mass incarceration, and we're talking, I mean, all these types of things that absolutely need to be addressed. Like, I'm not saying that there's not a space for a national conversation. There is, and it's thankfully starting to happen. I think we have a long way to go. But change, actual change, and following the way of Jesus, of being a reconciler, starts with me and how I treat people of color and the way that I lift up and serve people of color in my community. That's the way you start beating and addressing some of these systemic issues from a ground up because I think it's a top-down model and I think it's a ground-up model and hopefully they would meet together in the middle, right? Yeah. We have to have policies that are fair. We have to have a judicial system that's fair for everyone. You know, We have to do something about mass incarceration. We have to do something about all of these systemic issues that exist within the systems that are put in place in America. But it has to be met with an individual understanding of loving your neighbor and serving your neighbor. The systemic issue only goes so far, right? Solving the systemic problem from an institution standpoint only goes so far. It doesn't change hearts, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's not going to change individual heart of someone and so that's that's the catch you have to do both and so it has to be a both and approach and not an either or.
0: yes yes absolutely yeah both and yes yes yes
1: and And, i mean Um, it's it's that way with you know refugees it's that way with racism it's that way with sexism it's that way with i mean poverty homelessness you name it, it has to be both and. It has to be addressed from an individual heart change level that happens within the context of your local community and it has to happen in our leaders who then affect change to change Mm. the institutional system. It has to be both. Um,
0: Because
1: one only goes so far.
0: And I think think there is a sense that if you build, if everyone focuses on their own communities Mm -hmm. and does this work in their own communities eventually something grows up everywhere. And springs up, okay. and the and the kind of people's kinds, of, and the kind of people tend to start emerging, mm-hmm. who can bring that, in at a national level, exactly. And then you have it, mer- and then you have a, then you really have, a change because you because not only have you changed the policy, but you've also changed, the people. Like, I think sometimes
1: like system, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, because I think so. Sometimes people think that, I think what what happens is you have big change in culture but it doesn't actually seep all the way down to the bottom it seeps Mm -hmm. down to the through the institutional stuff and through all the business and through most the most maybe up to the middle class Mm -hmm. but there's a bit underneath that's always that's still not changed because it wasn't necessarily bottom-up change as well and I Mm -hmm. think yeah when you get both together Mm -hmm. um that's when you get real change you know
1: is yeah, it, I mean, there, it's it's that phrase that, I mean, it comes up a lot in the pro-life argument here, an anti-abortion argument,
0: yeah.
1: is that, like, you can't legislate morality. Yeah. Right. That argument, um, for someone to have a core moral value and to see value in the other and to see value in the person who is marginalized or oppressed or, you know, any of those types of things. Um Yeah that that comes from the heart that comes from a a change in value system a change of perspective that happens on an individual level you can't mm-hmm. legislate that you can't say like you have to be loving it's the law like yeah there's always going to be like you yeah. know way around that and that that starts just with the people that we're in community with and i mean specifically like it, it, and i sound like a conservative now but like it really does start with our children and the next generation like what is the world that we want to leave for our kids um and the the if we want to leave a better world for our children where systemic racism is on its way out the door if marginalization of refugees is on its way out the door i need to do my part as a parent to then train my child to love and treat those people as equals Mm. And understand them, and love them, and give them, and tell them that they should lift up those voices. They should embrace Mm. those people. They should always be on the lookout for folks who are on the fringe and on the margins. Um, We leave a better world for our kids when we do the hard work of instilling those values in them. That doesn't happen by magic. It doesn't happen by legislation. Um, It does. You know, it's the hard work of yeah, value change and heart change.
0: So yeah. Yeah. I also find it interesting, the top-down thing, that there's a lot of, I just see the similarities with a lot of the church.
1: Mm-hmm. But some
0: people do things, like follow the, do Christian things, like, oh, well, I've got to forgive my neighbour, I've got to love my neighbour, I've got to love my enemy, I've got to, because, not because they actually feel it in their heart, but not because anything's going on in their heart at all, but because, well, that's what the Bible says, mm-hmm. so I better do it, or I'm going to hell. So I'm going to right. do it, you know, and that, again, it's like, it's just the wrong, it's the whole, it's the wrong perspective at all. It's, it's not about, this is why I don't like legalism and, you know.
1: It's fear-based. Um,
0: it's like, like, it's all about, yeah, fear. It's kind of, yeah, it's it's fear. It's it's saying, do this or else, you know. Um, yeah. And um, actually, it's just, it's about actually, what Jesus wants to do is transform our hearts, that's right so that he'll trans- that'll transform our lives and that'll transform the lives of the people in our communities and
1: exactly right
0: that's what churches need to be doing transforming people's hearts not preaching a set of doctrine and rules and the legal- legalistic stuff to them you know um yeah
1: and i mean and that's that's what we're seeing in the church in in a lot of different ways and um, you know, surrounding women in ministry, surrounding LGBT issues. Like the hearts of people in the church are are changing through the power of the Spirit. And there's a movement happening around some issues and the hearts are starting to turn and starting to change and starting to be molded um, in different ways. And that ultimately affects the value system of even a church community. Um, No, I'm not saying that like people who, are holding tight to a traditional view of marriage or whatever, or not being changed by the spirit. I don't want to suggest that, but, um, you know, you can't negate it. You can't negate that there are some significant changes happening, but they're happening at a ground level. They're not happening at an institutional level. They're happening amongst the people, um, in communities as they interact with and love their LGBT neighbors or love Mm. the women who are gifted to preach and lead and teach. Um, and so, yeah, those are, that's where you see change, right? As, as mm. soon as you know someone and have a relationship with someone who fits that bill, it's like, oh, the paradigms kind of get blown open. It's like, I can't, I don't see this issue the way I used to anymore because mm. I actually know someone that it actually affects their real life. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And, yep. you know, I mean, I, it's weird because when people, when people use the argument about oh, the Bible says this to justify their opinion, then mm-hmm. to me, they've kind of lost the argument already because it's just like, well, that's yeah, okay, it says that in the Bible. What do you actually believe? Like, because I suspect if you actually some of the people who, who use that argument, if you actually ask them what they actually believe, like without you know, they wouldn't know some, you know, or they wouldn't be sure. Sure. And I certainly think that people use the Bible to, to justify their own prejudices, whether they realize it or not, you know. Uh-
1: we all do. I yeah.
0: do it. I oh, know we all do it, but I mean, there's I'll some people it. who are like, you know, in terms of the the roles of women and LGBT stuff, I think yeah, there's yeah. people who, whether they know it or not, they already have prejudices, but they're just not confronting them because they're using the Bible to just avoid dealing with it, you know.
1: Exactly right. And I think that a lot of that, like, honestly, I just wish we would change our phrasing. Instead of saying, the Bible says, mm. I wish to say, my perspective of the Bible would say. Yes. Correct Yes. Like, my theological perspective on scripture would say that da that da, 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 da Because, yes, we can all agree, like, that the words in the text say actually this. But what we interpret it to mean can be wholly different. And a lot of them are valid yes. theological arguments backed by, re- like, really, really smart people. Way beyond my pay grade. Um, and the minute that we just kind of say, oh... You're right. The Bible, the text says this, but my interpretation of that scripture says. Mm. It's yeah. just being
0: honest. My pastor yeah. was doing a talk on um, sex, actually, and he was talking about the Bible and, you know, that sometimes it doesn't always say what we think it says. And he used the example. He said, for example, on homosexuality, the thing that they were talking about isn't the thing that we talk about now. And that's all he said, pretty much. and. Yep. I heard that he got a few people going up to him after... And we're quite a liberal church, you know, we're quite a progressive church. <laughs> right. but There were people who went up to him and, and were kind of... Cause we've got some... We're kind of a diverse mixture of different theological perspectives. Sure, sure. Um, who were not happy with that, you know, and... Um, really? But this guy, I mean, our pastor's like a really top theologian. He's much... He's one of these way beyond my pay grade kind of people, <laughs> you know, He's um, he lectures on theology and everything. So um so uh, I think the people who weren't comfortable with that, but he was right, you know, um yeah, and this will start with politics. How do we bring this all back to politics but I mean
1: well, it's all interconnected, right
0: yeah, that's the, right
1: um you know again, it's like what does the law say? what does i mean all those types of things It's our interpretation of you know what what should be the best for everyone. Um, yeah, it's, and, it, and it's hard. It's hard to navigate those things and to do it in a way that's honest and not rooted in fear, especially mm. now. And I think that that's, that's really the challenge that we're up against in this election, both on both sides. On mm. both, I don't want to say that it's, it's just on the Trump side because I do think that there are some issues in the democratic side that need to be reckoned with. And, um, you know, it's, it's just that how do we respond, how as evangelicals or as Christians or mainliners or how people of faith, right, as people of faith who put our hope in something grounded and eternal, how do we respond to this fearful perspective, this fearful rhetoric, um, both coming out of the Trump campaign and also coming out of the Democratic campaign towards the Donald Trump campaign? You know what I mean? Because I think that it's both happening. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm so afraid that ISIS is gonna come to the United States and kill us all, so I'm gonna vote for Donald Trump. But then there's the fear from the the Democratic side going, oh my gosh, I'm so fearful that da 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 da, da, da. because of Donald Trump, we have to I think both sides need to step back and go, Okay, what can I do to beat back the fearful rhetoric? Um and I think that that's, that's the big challenge and that's what's at, at, at stake here. I'm not saying that there aren't reasons to be concerned and that there aren't reasons um, to be afraid. But the more we perpetuate fearful rhetoric, the more we start buying into the idea that fear is the thing that's going to drive everything. Mm. Uh, and that's a dangerous place to be on both sides. And we don't want that. No, it's we don't. to end of this mess. Mm. We're going to get out of it. we got to start pushing back against that rhetoric. Um, and, man, that's hard. Yeah. It's super hard. And it's really hard for, you know, I mean, I, I think of, like, my black friends, and I'm like, yeah, because if Donald Trump gets elected, um, they have every right to be fearful. Like, that's yeah. the truth. There are some significant things that could happen that would put a lot of their lives and the lives of their children at risk and I think that that's deeply concerning and that's putting it nicely mm. but do we win any argument do we win any perspective do we win the hearts of people by tapping into fear mm. uh, and we got to play the long game I think yeah and so how do we do that while still holding true to our values and it's tough yeah and here
0: I think the lesson that, I've, that needs to be learned not just well, both from Brexit and from Trump's campaign whether he wins or loses um, is mm-hmm. that the politics of fear has to has to be has to be allowed to die it has to has to end because whatever party wins
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, it can't be allowed fear can't be allowed to be the the winner of an election, because mm-hmm. it'll just perpetuate and more well, people will campaign through fear and it'll just, mm-hmm. campaigns run through fear, what, whoever wins, that mm-hmm. has a bad effect on everybody. And I know that yeah. that's what's happened here. That's what's happened in this country and, you know, um, and we've got to have people campaigning for hope.
1: Yeah. Because hope's
0: infectious, you know.
1: Yeah, it is. And fear doesn't build anything sustainable, like, sustainable. It doesn't. Mm um commonality and hope and what we can do together are the things that build the foundation of moving forward mm. um fear only tears those things apart brick by brick and then we're what are we left with we're mm. stripped down to nothing right we're just left with fear of the other and then what do we do Mm. It, it, it doesn't actually move us forward towards something yeah. that's sustainable for everyone. Um, and that's who we are as a country. That's, that's America, right? I mean, everyone loves America because it's that, like, we're always progressing, we're always moving forward, we're always innovating, we're always, hmm. you know, in front hmm. of those sorts of things, that American spirit, right? Um, but it's true. It's, you know, why people love to come here. It's why people you know, love to come to school here and get jobs here and all those types of things. It's, you know, because there's promise and there's not a lot of promise in fear, but there's a lot of promise in building on what we have in common and doing it together and building on hope and, um, you know, pushing back against that fear. That's where the change happens. Ultimately the change that lasts and that's worth something. Yeah. Um, and I hope that that's what we choose in November. Yeah. I hope we choose
0: in november but we'll see yeah it's going to be an interesting time oh lord um, <laughs> yeah
1: interesting is calm that's a nice way to put
0: it <laughs> yes um well thank you for coming um coming on today and talking about this um really important conversation i think really helpful hopefully yeah. it's been helpful for listeners as well yeah i hope so too um and uh yeah so thanks nish and um Thanks for having me. Yeah, we'll be having you back for sure. Um, So um, uh, thanks,
1: everybody. And um, we'll talk again soon.